Daniel Janoff, and I'm very excited to say I have this idea I've been knocking around for a while. It's a way to tell a story in a pretty unique way, but it will only get somewhere with your help. One of my beliefs, something that set this show in motion, is that everyone, truly everyone, can benefit from the process of creating a story, especially people who don't consider themselves writers. I think that story creation, whatever story you create, is as good for the heart and mind as meditation, seeing it shrink, or going on a vacation. Crafting a story that you think is good, even if no one even reads it, I believe, is profoundly nourishing food for the soul. Because we love stories so much. We talk about characters like they're real people. We hang on to books we know we'll never read again. I, for one, I loved watching the HBO series The Wire so much that I stopped at season four. I waited months before I watched season five because I knew it was the last season. I wanted to put off that inevitable end to what I knew would be one of the best stories I'd ever experience. But the vast majority of us are consumers of stories. We aren't creators. We devour them after work more ravenously than we do our meals. They keep us company at the beach or on our commute, but that's about it. Unless you have an agent in New York or you're part of a writer's room in LA, you're probably going to stay a fan. You'll be a consumer, but you'll never be a creator. That's in part because of the way the world of large audience storytelling is set up. If you want to write something that will be experienced by an audience larger than your friends and family, most likely you're going to write some form of script or novel. But these are prohibitive time commitments for people with jobs and families. I'm not ashamed to say that with work and family commitments, it took me years to finish Haruki Murakami's 1Q84. Years. Just to read the thing. And I love Murakami. Actually, writing something that long, unless I severed off all personal and professional commitments, would probably take me a lifetime. And long-form writing projects have significant learning curves. If you try to teach a new driver how to drive by taking them out for a spin with an 18-wheeler, that driver is probably going to crash it right away. Similarly, if a new writer strikes out with a 500-page novel as a first attempt at writing, that writer may very likely end up in a ditch on the side of the road that is the creative journey. Which brings me back to this idea I've been knocking around. What if you could be part of a show's writer's room without ever having to move out to one of the coasts? Without ever having to actually sit in a writer's room? What if you could dive with abandon into a couple of hours of writing, crafting a storyline, without ever having to worry about how or when you'll find time to finish it? Without having to worry about mapping out how those five pages of your storyline are going to connect to the next 495 and so on? It's these what-ifs that I'm hoping the storyliner can become. And again, this is with your help. In just a few more seconds, you'll hear the beginning of a new storyline, one that I purposely conceived with no sense of what the middle or end would be. And I want the rest of this season, for lack of a better phrase, to be authored by other people. People who want to enjoy rolling with a storyline for a little while, without worrying about what comes next. The storyliner is for seasoned writers, would-be writers, and people who have never written anything longer than an email. You listen, you write, you hand off your part of the storyline, which becomes the jumping-off point for the next writer. That's how the storyliner works. In a moment, you'll hear the beginning of our storyline. I'll hop back on, and we'll talk a bit more about how you can become part of the storyliner. When I swung open the door, the apartment was empty. The end table Marianne had regretted buying because she was sure she could have found it cheaper somewhere else was gone. The mess of thumb drives Glenn had stacked atop the end table to ensure he'd remember to consolidate them, but never did, was also gone. The framed photo print of Imelda Marcos's shoe collection that had hung over the end table, the first real art Marianne had ever bought, was gone. The small motion-activated camera Glenn had placed atop the frame to secretly record their guests' reactions to the photo print 
was gone. Their refrigerator, their coat closet, and their medicine cabinet had been cleaned out. Everything they owned was gone. The moment before they'd opened the door, Glenn had picked up Marianne to cross the threshold. He continued to hold her aloft as they surveyed the empty apartment. They'd gotten mostly married, as they decided to call it, yesterday in the back of a rowboat. Their friend Ray had been rowing, so they figured that made him enough of a ship's captain to marry them. On the flight back, they agreed it would be stupid for Glenn to carry Marianne over the threshold, which immediately made them want to do it. They planned to cross the threshold, ditch their bags, grab a quick shower and change of clothes, and then head over to City Hall. All they could do now was cross the threshold. Glenn put Marianne down slowly. She was shaking. Is this real? she asked. I don't know, Glenn replied, grinning slightly at the blank slate that had taken the place of their home. It's kind of amazing, though. All of our stuff gone? she asked. Glenn shook his head. It's not gone. More likely some kind of stunt. Stunt? she asked. What else could it be? he said, gesturing around the space as they walked. They took everything, he said. The hangers, the extension cords. He paused in their kitchen and opened the silverware drawer. Our forks are gone. Why would someone steal our forks? Do you know what those forks are worth? Marianne replied. Glenn knew, as did everyone who followed Marianne's tumbler. To the dollar, what the forks were worth. When Marianne moved into their apartment, she brought two moving vans packed with a masterfully assembled collection of chic furniture and accessories. Each item represented hours of considered hunting through the most respected design blogs and social media accounts, and hours more spent sifting online and offline distributors, retailers, and liquidators before finally proclaiming to her offline following, which was robust, that she'd found something remarkable for an equally remarkable value. She'd outfitted an apartment worthy of a successful tech CEO with the budget of a tech CEO's assistant, which she was. I'm not saying they're not good forks, Glenn continued. I'm just saying no robber is coming for the forks. We'll get it back. Marianne didn't reply as Glenn put his arm around her. She let her gaze fall to the floor and used a foot to trace the faded outline of where one of her couches used to be. Finally, she said, What about Ava McLaren? You think? Glenn replied. You're saying this is a stunt, Marianne continued, easing herself down to the floor. That's her thing, right? When Glenn moved in, he brought two suitcases, one a mess of unfolded clothes and the other a mess of miscellaneous micro lenses, wires, circuit boards, and sensors. The clothes were a mishmash of suits, shirts, and jeans that held no value to Glenn other than helping him blend in while installing the gear from the other suitcase. The gear itself held no value either until Glenn fashioned some of it into one of his signature cameras. They were unique creations he'd started making in design school, highly regarded by a very very niche audience, for their usefulness in film production, surveillance, art projects, and the gray areas that lie in between. Marianne had met Glenn because she wanted to add one of his cameras to her collection of covetables. When he had an assignment, Glenn was paid well, but every month, Marianne's half of the rent was a certainty. Every month, Glenn's half of the rent was a theory that a mishmash of low-paying surveillance installation or production gigs found through Craigslist, Reddit, and his online circle of peers, Marianne called them his perverts, would produce his half of the rent. And every month it did, but just barely. 
So while they were on vacation, Marianne had suggested they use an apartment-sharing site to rent their place to a woman named Ava McLaren, someone they'd both heard of before, but neither could remember from where. She'd listed her occupation as provocateur in her profile, which had been something of a red flag, but her user rating was far higher than anyone else who had replied to their posting. And now their apartment was empty. Marianne let out a long exhale and said, Would you please sit down next to me on our couch that isn't here anymore? A moment after he did, Marianne pulled her phone out and snapped a photo of their empty apartment. I am posting this everywhere and tagging Ava, she said. You think it's smart to accuse her on social? Glenn said. Please, Marianne said, sounding offended. My following would crush her following. They had renter's insurance, although they called it cool insurance because it was through an insurance startup Marianne had heard about from her CEO boss. The startup, which had already amassed millions in its first round of funding, connected independent agents throughout the country with customers seeking a more hands-on experience. Glenn had liked that it was the cheapest available insurance option and you could FaceTime your agent. Marianne had liked that their agent, Brad, who was from a small town, had researched them both online and seemed to think that they were much more important and successful than they actually were. So, this rental site, Brad said, you get matched, like you're dating? As was his custom during their FaceTime chats, Brad maintained an almost supernaturally warm smile, one that Glenn and Marianne had both attributed to his occupation and small-town background. But as the FaceTime progressed, a tight squint gradually entered Brad's gaze, turning grin into grimace. It's like a compatibility check, Marianne replied. You rent your place to like-minded people. But if the whole idea is that you're gone while they're there, who cares, Brad asked. I think the idea is to create a sense that you're renting to people like you, Glenn explained. Makes it feel less creepy. The site, though, just so I'm clear, Brad asked, how do you get matched? I never looked into it, Glenn replied, but I imagine there's some algorithm that... Oh, that bitch, Marianne interrupted, looking down at her phone. She fucking liked it. She held up her phone to Glenn's, which they were using to FaceTime, so that Brad could see Marianne's post. Ava McLaren, who hadn't yet returned any of their panicked calls, texts, or emails, had given their empty apartment a like in every social channel Marianne had posted to. Yeah, she definitely liked it, Brad said, as the phones were decoupled. But how do you figure she'd do that if she's also the one who robbed you? We don't know that she robbed us in the traditional sense, Glenn said. We're thinking the whole thing might just be a stunt. A stunt? She's like a pro skater or something? Hey, Brad, Marianne said, still looking at her phone. Have we answered all the necessary questions for the claim? Because it's already five, and I'm pretty sure a best practice is to get it submitted during business hours day of. Marianne's kind of an expert on renter's insurance, Glenn explained. Yeah, I know, Brad said. I remember that from your Tumblr. And then Brad did something he'd never done before. He looked over his shoulder to make sure that no one at his office was nearby. When his gaze returned to them, he wasn't smiling. And that, unfortunately, could be an issue, he continued. At some point in the claim, there's a possibility the police, and definitely someone here, will do a quick online scrub of your online profiles, Brad explained. They'll be looking for certain keywords, especially anything related to insurance. Oh my God, Marianne chuckled. Brad, you think this is insurance fraud? Of course not. 
Brad said, reactivating his grimace smile. But try to see the situation as others might see it. A woman fills her apartment with items she bought well below their reimbursement value. Then one day, she files a claim for every item at its full reimbursement value. Brad glanced over his shoulder again and then said, You're certain you've got no prior connection to this woman? None, Marianne said emphatically. We've just a number and an email address. Brad was silent for a moment and then said, No home or business address? Glenn and Marianne shook their heads. Brad nodded. Because if you did, I would never recommend, his voice quieter still, that you physically confront someone who you suspect may have burglarized your home. There's one thing we haven't considered. Glenn said as they walked down the hallway. What's that? Marianne replied. Time travel, Glenn said. Dimensional travel too, I suppose. Entering a time or dimension where for whatever reason that apartment is empty instead of full. I think I'd remember booking a trip on a time machine. I'd have posted a photo at least. Who says you'd need a machine? Glenn continued. You felt deja vu. I've done this before. I've been here before. But I remember it just a little differently. The moment we stepped through our door, he said, everything felt different. Same people, same place, but different. Thank you for not sharing any of these theories with Brad, Marianne replied. They had used Ava's LinkedIn profile to find this address. Each of her online profiles was associated with a different address. But this seemed the most recent. The main floors of the shared workspace were a thoughtfully lit curation of glossy tables, ergonomic chairs, and plush cushions. The basement level was just cracked cement, from the floors to the walls to the ceiling. The only indication that someone was using the basement as a workspace was Ava's business cards, one hastily taped to the elevator and the other taped to the door they had just reached. Glenn raised a fist to knock on the door, but then paused, noticing something above the door frame. More deja vu? Glenn said as he craned his neck to get a better look. Apparently I've been here before, even though I don't recall ever being here before. Marianne also craned her neck to see what Glenn was looking at, then spied it above the door jamb, a tiny surveillance camera with the look of one of Glenn's bespoke creations. Is that one of yours? Marianne asked. I'd need to open it up to be sure, Glenn said, but it looks like it. Not sure how that's possible, though. Marianne banged on the door, then turned the knob after a moment with no answer, but it was locked. Fuck, Marianne said, then grinned slightly, realizing, you can unlock this, can't you? He could, easily. During the one year of college he completed before dropping out, Glenn had apprenticed with a locksmith to help cover expenses. He'd broken into Marianne's apartment on their second date after she'd misplaced her keys. To ensure she didn't get the wrong idea, he had explained that he only defeated locks when the rightful owner of whatever was on the other side of the lock needed him to. Glenn reminded her, it's not really a can question, it's more of a should question. Of course, you definitely should, Marianne said. What if the camera records me doing it, Glenn said. What if the alarm that's most likely connected to it gets triggered? And what if, Marianne replied, all of our stuff is sitting on the other side of this door? Their stuff wasn't on the other side of the door. There was a woman, wearing a headset though, who tried to push the door shut on them almost as soon as Glenn opened it. 
The moment she did, Marianne pushed back so hard, it knocked the woman back into another woman, who as a result knocked into another woman. The women were part of a circle of ten women seated in the space, which was as cement bleak as the hallway. At the center of the circle stood a lone man wearing nothing but snug white briefs. Electrodes attached to his chest and forehead plugged into a laptop that rested on a small table next to him. Just outside the circle of women, two more women wearing headsets balanced near the top of tall ladders and held their phones out to capture footage of the scene. All 13 of them were now glaring at Glenn and Marianne. What the fuck? A swiftly approaching woman said in a hissing sing-song. I thought you locked the door. It was Ava McLaren, wearing red sneakers, red jeans, red dress shirt, and a red ribbon in her ponytail of red hair. I did lock the door, the woman with the headset replied, then tilted her head to indicate Glenn and Marianne. Okay, Ava said, and turned to Glenn and Marianne, modulating her delivery as though speaking to small children. Hi there. We're shooting, and it's going out live, so we can't have any distractions, okay? Marianne grinned widely and mirrored Ava's delivery. Hi, my name's Marianne. Do you know who I am? No, I don't. Ava replied curtly and began to walk away, but stopped when she finally recognized Glenn. Oh, my God, she said, grinning widely. Glenn! Glenn grinned back, but there was no recognition on his face. Ava laughed loudly enough that it once more distracted everyone on set and said, You really don't remember? Glenn looked at her for a long moment and then said, Abigail? The name my parents gave me, she replied with a too somber inflection, but yes. You look different, Glenn said. I am different, she replied, once more grinning widely at Glenn. I had no idea. Glenn turned to Marianne, then back to Ava. I didn't make the connection. No, Marianne replied. You never did. Yeah, Glenn replied and put his arm around Marianne. Anyway, this is my fiance, Marianne, and the apartment you rented this week was uh, ours, and that's my Fucking print, Marianne said, cutting him off. Indeed, a framed print of Imelda Marcos' shoe collection hung on the wall just beyond the man and the circle of women. Marianne started walking toward it, but was quickly cut off by the woman with the headset she'd knocked over moments ago. We're shooting, she said to Marianne. Glenn stepped next to Marianne and placed a hand on her shoulder. We should probably wait until they wrap, he said. Yeah, Marianne said as she eased her shoulder slowly away from him. Marianne was still looking at the print as Ava came around to her other side. What do you think, by the way, Ava said. The shoot's part of this ongoing content series we're creating for a new unisex fragrance. The model's wired to a lie detector while the women ask him questions about past lovers. I think it's stupid, Marianne replied. Really? Ava said with an interested grin. I'm assuming you didn't get any of my calls, Marianne asked, or my texts. Ava laughed. Oh my god, getting ready for this? I haven't checked anything in days. You like the post I tagged you in, though. Really? <laughs> Thank god for assistance. What were the posts about? Our apartment. Oh right, now I know who you are. We were going to do the shoot there, actually. But I decided we needed something a little more stark. It's pretty stark now, actually. Someone robbed us while we were gone. Oh my god! Marianne pointed at the print. They even took my framed print of Imelda Marcos's shoe collection. After a moment, Ava forced a smile and chuckled. Wait, you think I would steal something out of your apartment? You had the key? You had a week. You have my print. Maybe we should talk about this in the hall, Glenn said. Are you talking to me or Abigail? 
Marianne asked. She's funny, Ava said to Glenn. You said she was your fiancé? She is, Glenn replied, and stole a glance at Marianne, who still hadn't taken her eyes off the print. Ava leaned toward her and asked, Have you gone to the police yet? Not yet, Marianne replied. Because you know, it'll be your word against mine, Ava said. I'm good with that, Marianne replied. Of course, the cops won't care either way. Your real concern is the renting site and your insurance company. What makes you think I have insurance? Marianne asked. I don't know a thing about you, Ava replied, and would love to keep it that way. But you should know. I have a five-star elite rating on the site. I rent spaces for my clients and shoots almost every week. What's your rating? Marianne finally turned to look at her. First-time user, she replied. Hmm, Ava said thoughtfully, then shrugged. Well, you're more than welcome to stay and look at the print for a little while. So as promised, that was the beginning to the storyline, but it was also the beginning of an experiment. The storyline or process isn't how stories are usually made, so before I rolled out the show to a larger audience, I wanted to try it out with a smaller group first. So the next three episodes you'll hear were written by a chain of friends, all of whom are creative, but none of whom would consider themselves experienced creative writers. I handed the beginning you just heard to a friend of mine. He wrote his portion, and after a little editing and rewriting from the storyline or team, it became the next episode you'll hear. A friend of his wrote the subsequent episode, and a friend of hers wrote the episode after that. But the subsequent episodes, that's all you, hopefully. If you've enjoyed listening to the story thus far, I guarantee you'll enjoy writing where it goes next even more. So please, be the person who writes episode 5. You can read a little more about the submission process at our website, thestoryliner.com. But essentially, once you've listened to the most recent episode, you write five or so pages of what you think should come next. Once the submission is selected, it gets a quick revise for consistency, gets recorded, and becomes part of the next episode of the story. So keep listening, get caught up, and become a part of the storyline. Today's episode was read by Michelle Monteforti. Music and sound design was composed by Stefan Bublil. And our logo and site was designed by The Apartment. This episode was brought to you by Squarespace. Look like an expert right from the start by making your website with Squarespace. Its award-winning templates are the most beautiful way to present your ideas online. Stand out with a professional website, portfolio, or online store. Squarespace. Build it beautiful.